Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you from the team behind Cycling Plus, MBUK and BikeRadar.com. Hello and welcome to another Bike Radar podcast. Today we're going to be discussing controversial road debates and to discuss those very, very highly controversial debates. I have two of the finest road cyclists from the Bike Radar office with me. I have Jack Luke. Hello, Simon. And Matthew Loveridge. Hello, boys. Hello. How are we? Very well, thank you. Distant from you. Missing you every day, Simon, but surviving. (laughs) Excellent. Right. Well, let's just get straight into it, I think. Let's start with perhaps the hottest tech topic of the moment in road cycling. It's, of course, disc versus rim brakes. Does anyone have a spicy opinion to kick us off? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'm bored of talking about this more than anything else. I, I started at Bike Radar just shy four years ago, and uh, we were still, or we started talking about it far beyond, or before that, I should say. Um, the whole rim versus disc argument is played out to say the best in cycling media. Um, but it's remarkable that it is still raging on. And while we're, you know, very balanced in our opinion about it, it is still one of those things that seems to uh, invoke all manner of hate in the comments. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting one. I mean, I recently published an article um, a few months ago now uh, when Quintana won on a sort of mountaintop finish riding a rim, uh, a disc brake bike, sorry, and no one really commented about it in the media. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. Maybe maybe people have gotten over it. But then in the comments replying to that article, people are very much not over it. And it's, you kind of get the, the usual ones of like, you know, they're too heavy, they make too much noise, people only ride them because that's what the, the big, bike industry behemoths are pushing on us um i'm not sure that's true i mean matthew what do you think i love disc brakes i think that's first thing i'd say um i also have a certain aesthetic attraction to rim brakes and i appreciate them for their classic qualities um i think a classic road bike with rim brakes is a very beautiful thing and i also embrace difference so i think it's perfectly possible for the two to coexist just because disc brakes are overall objectively better which i do think they are in performance terms doesn't mean there isn't a place for rim brakes and point that i've come back to quite a few times particularly when writing about cheaper bikes is that if you don't have a lot of money buy a road bike with rim brakes because you get a lot more for your money and if you're a leisure cyclist mostly riding for fun and you're not worried about being able to ride in all weathers or you're not carrying big loads the example i always use is you're not descending mountains with filled panniers then in fact rim brakes will probably do fine for your purposes because people use them for years it's a very highly evolved technology and they do actually work quite well i think the same parallel can be drawn with suspension on cheaper mountain bikes really where you know you wouldn't buy bad suspension you wouldn't choose to do it and it's the exact same with um uh, rim brakes where you get like you say Matthew much better value for money on should we say arbitrarily the thousand pounds and less is kind of the perhaps the crossover point where you get into like hydraulic disc brakes on certain models which are you know ultimately superior to mechanical disc brakes which personally I would rather have a high quality set of rim brakes than mechanical uh, disc brakes so I think that's a very very fair point one thing that I really liked as well last year your long term or your 
very handsome trek onto ALR. You know, we do try and keep a good balance in terms of what we cover on site, and people loved that you were using rim brakes on that bike. Yeah, I mean, that was a great-looking bike. And interestingly, that had direct mount rim brakes, which are the best sort of rim brakes you can get. Um, the classic, what's the word for them that isn't direct mount, single bolt but dual pivot rim brakes are pretty damn good. But if you want the absolute best rim brakes, direct mount brakes are amazing. But that is specific to your frame, so it's not like you have a choice there. In terms of the debate and how it's going to play out, one of the things that I think's uh, interesting is that with the, the Amonda, which launched a couple of weeks ago, the Trek Amonda is, is very much its classic climbing bike, or it was, and now it's more like a bit of an all-round race bike, but still something with, you know, a bent towards going up hills very fast. It was notable that bike is no longer available with rim brakes. Now, if you want to make the very lightest bike possible, rim brakes are definitely the way to go. But some years ago, we published an article on site which highlighted, I think maybe in it's maybe even 2017 or maybe 2018, saying that the balance in terms of bike sales had very, very much tipped towards bikes with disc brakes. Now, it is very tempting to say, oh, it's, it's Jack, Simon and Matthew from the cycling Illuminati pushing on bikes. But fundamentally, brands are producing the bikes that will sell and you cannot fault them for producing, they are businesses for producing something that people want to buy. So I think there's less debate than people really think think maybe because they are better objectively disc brakes that is but you know in the end of the day if it's what people are buying brands are going to make it yeah that's absolutely true is that something, that is that, well is it something we lament though the kind you know will the next generation of dura ace have a have a rim brake i think so i think so i think the but you know dura ace obviously isn't a budget group set but shimano just today, as we're recording this, launched the SPD sandal. Now, I would hazard a bet, uh, a bet, yeah, sorry, that um, Shimano sells more rim brakes than it does SPD sandal shoes. But, you know, it still supports that very niche segment of the market. So I'd be very, very surprised if they dropped it for the next generation of Durace. OK, well, that's good. People, didn't, people needn't be worried then. I was going to say, as long as uh, professionals, some of them are still riding rim brakes, then... Durace will still have a rim brake version because fundamentally Durace has always been a professional rider's first group set and it kind of goes to the next generation for the needs of the amateurs. That's why Durace has never, for example, catered to really big cassettes because it's like, well, why would you need more than a 28 or a 30 tooth cog on a cassette if you're a pro rider? Well, pro riders don't, but the rest of us do. What pro teams left then riding rim brakes? I think it's just Ineos and... Uh... Uh, Lotto and El Yumbo, right? When do we think they'll switch over? Do you think Ineos will switch over for 2021? It's hard. To, I mean, I suppose unless there's a sponsorship push from Pinarello, which, you know, I could see happening. I mean, it's surprise, it, it does surprise me that they hold out for it. I, I'm, I'm, it's kind of odd that they're the last two. Mm, it's possible. I mean, may, maybe if you think if Shimano does launch a new group set, because they're both, yeah, they are both on Shimano group sets. I guess... It depends how hard Shimano wants to push disc brakes in that context. I'm sure they'll want to promote both, but could be next season. I wouldn't be surprised. I didn't think about that. Well, I think that probably that's probably all we've got to say on it, really. I think the conclusion is, you know, if you like your rim brakes, excellent. You'll probably still be able to get them for many years, just like you can still buy kind of nine, eight, seven speed components. So don't worry about it. Let's move on. The next one, another kind of classic road cycling debate, 
aero versus weight. Oh. Now, I have some very strong opinions on this. <laughs> um, you two perhaps less so, though. Oh, yeah, I really want to hand over to you and Matthew on this one. I want to watch this, uh, <laughs> this dueling of titans at a polarising ends of the debate. Well, Matthew, why don't I sort of state my position and then, and then I'll let you sort of tear it down. I think that might be more fun. Um, Go for I, it. I think weight doesn't really matter. And as long as your bike kind of weighs sub nine kilos or so, I'd say aero is pretty much everything. I uh, disagree completely. I think <laughs> that aero fundamentally doesn't matter, um, but weight does. Um, now, I'm speaking from the perspective of somebody who's not actually particularly interested in ultimate performance. If you're racing, clearly ultimate performance matters because it it's getting across the finish line first or setting the fastest time. But for the rest of us who just want to enjoy riding our bikes, I maintain that, generally speaking, aero is just a way to make you get your get to your destination faster. It makes your ride shorter, less cycling, worse. Um, whereas <laughs> weight savings is something that you can actually feel. Now, you can't feel small weight savings. You know, you're not 300 grams off a bike. You'll never know the difference. That's the that's like the difference between riding with a full bottle and a half empty bottle tiny but then if you're talking about like two kilos you will really feel that i've never had two bikes side by side and not thought the lighter one was more fun because a lighter bike just feels nice to ride it feels more nimble when you're sort of throwing it around climbing up a hill it feels nice it just for me matters more whereas aero is something that when you're looking at a spreadsheet of times is faster if you're measuring watts you'll see is faster objectively according to the data but you won't feel it while you're riding i think perhaps your impressions of this is skewed matthew given you weigh about as much as a typical bag of basmati rice so i think <laughs> it's uh but i do agree i think you know if you think of it from a purely emotional perspective and let's be honest you know you don't you're not going to buy an ugly bike because it uh, makes you excited to ride it you buy good looking bikes that weigh you know, not very much because it's exciting to own a jewel-like gem of a bike. And I think weight is a much sexier subject than aero. But, you know, Matthew and I aren't all out performance wagons like Simon. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think for me, I've, I think I've always been into... what A big part of cycling has always been about kind of going fast. And even if I'm not racing, you know, we, we went out on a kind of if we go out on a socially distanced ride with our mates or something like that, you still, there's something about just racing your friends and doing, and you know, whether it, whether you pin the number on or not, that I, I find just absolutely thrilling. And I know that the aero thing is what makes the biggest, you know, air resistance is what makes the biggest difference to how fast you go on a bike. And so anything that you can do to improve the aerodynamics is going to have the biggest effect on that. And I'm, you know, I'm also a bit of a, a bit of a skin flint, and I think I find trying to buy weight savings on your bike it just costs so much money. For basically, I can't, you know, I I, I personally don't think you really get anything out of it. I, I I don't. I mean, I think maybe Jack's, you know, point about Matthew being so lightweight. I think maybe you can feel the weight differences more than I can. But I I never weigh my bikes, and when I'm on my time trial bike, which probably weighs you know, a kilo more or something than my road bike. It doesn't feel particularly heavier, but it, it is, it's a rocket ship. It's a rocket ship in comparison. 
I don't think you're totally wrong, actually. Um, like we can certainly overstate the importance of weight. I, I keep talking about the long term I'm running at the moment, which is a specialized Roubaix. That is not a light bike, despite being very expensive. I think as I've currently got it set up, it's something like eight and a half kilos. And it overall is a fantastic bike um, because of the way it rides and how, again, it's how it makes me feel. So I wouldn't chase weight solely. I think the experiential aspects of cycling are much more nuanced than that. And for me, a big part of how a bike makes me feel is how it, how it looks, you know, what I feel about the components that I've chosen. Like I've always appreciated a really good quality group set. And that would be a major factor in choosing a bike for me. And it just so happens that as you go up the group set hierarchy, you also get some weight savings. And then when it comes to wheels and things, I appreciate higher quality wheels, but there are good reasons other than weight to choose your wheels. Like I'd rather have a robust, good quality set of hubs with decent sized bearings than one that's exceptionally light, but you can't ride in the rain because the bearings disintegrate. So there is balance to be had in all things for sure. But that's not what this is yeah. about. This is about polarising, controversial, <laughs> clickbait podcasts. So aero and weight, they both suck. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I, think I, I agree with you though, Matthew. Like, and the same with, with aero, um, with aero bikes, the compromises that less so made these days, but that used to have to be made in, t- in things like aero brakes were just insane. I think they were terrible, yeah. Just they were cr- really hard to yeah. work on. They were a nightmare to live with, and often they didn't even work that well while you were riding. No. Um, um, yeah. I do think it's good now that we're getting, we are getting more balance generally. So something like that in Monda we were talking about is an all-round race bike that has, it's reasonably light, but not just focused on lightweight. It's got aero features that put it, that would probably, I suspect, have made it as aerodynamic as the first generation of aerobikes, mm. if not more so. Um, I think I think balance is good. But yeah, black and white. Let's make it totally polarised. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess I guess that's that one solved then as well. Like, you know, don't worry about it. It's a very chill podcast, this. I like it. So we'll move on to another one. And again, I, I've got a very strong opinion on this and I suspect you two perhaps have the opposite. So it's shaving legs, pro or no? Mm. I like shaving my legs <laughs> when it comes to hill climb season or if I'm required to look fashionable for a bike radar photo shoot. <laughs> but beyond that, I have to say it's it's uh, it's something I do quite begrudgingly, um, not least because I'm not very good at it. Uh, even with the electric trimmer, I managed to really nick the back of my knees every single time. But I think, you know, for a man of such middling performance as myself and, you know, being a bit of a Caradice saddlebag toter, it would feel like a betrayal of myself and my hordes of Instagram followers to really go full roadie and, and shave my legs. And also, I, you know, I, I'm, pr- I'm a pretty strong believer in high cycling socks. You know, I like to keep my my sock game in good order, but I can't say that they're particularly clean or fresh. So the contrast between beautifully shaved legs and, you know, grim, slightly overwashed white cycling socks, I think it would just be too much, frankly. How about you, Matthew? Do you shave? Um, I do. I'm pretty torn about this. So I've been shaving my legs for many years and there was a time when I could not leave the house in Lycra without shaving my legs. And I've been, I've missed rides so that I could shave my legs. <laughs> Excellent. Um, which is, which is patently ridiculous. That's insane. Uh, the, 
The problem that I have is that I do deep down think that hairy legs don't go very well with lycra. There's something about yeah, that aesthetic, I and I don't, I don't care if it's pro or not. And I think fundamentally, it's stupid that I feel like this. But I, I enjoy cycling more on, particularly on the road. I don't it doesn't matter for other forms of cycling, particularly. I'm not even sure it matters for gravel. It definitely doesn't matter for mountain biking. But on the road, I'm fully kitted up. I feel better. I feel faster. I enjoy my riding more when I look down and there's no hair on my legs. <laughs> and I can't rationalise that because I don't, like I say, I don't care about any purported performance gains. Supposedly shaved legs are very slightly more aerodynamic. And the other justification is that if you crash, it's easier to clean out a wound if you don't have hairy legs. But I mean, I try not to crash when I'm riding on the road. So that is not a deciding factor for me. Mm. But yeah, uh, I'm t- I'm torn. Also, shaving, like Jack says, is a huge pain in the ass. <laughs> I used to do it with a razor. I get terrible irritation and stuff. I do it with an electric trimmer now. It's kind of okay, but not great. It wouldn't be such so a pain in the if, ass if you stopped halfway up the thigh, Matthew. There's no need to go quite that high. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we could talk for... <laughs> We could talk endlessly about what the acceptable approach is. I tend to adopt the hairy shorts approach. Mm. So I have a like oh, virtual pair of hairy shorts on, but everything below that is shaved. A former colleague of ours was a particularly herstute young man, and uh, he really did, from a distance, look like a like he was wearing a pair of hair shirt boxers when he uh, and he <laughs> whipped it off. It was quite remarkable. How about you, Simon? Where do you where do you land on this spectrum? Funnily enough, actually, I think I'm sort of in the same camp as Matthew, and and I I think hairy legs popping out of a set of you know sort of tight lycra shorts look really bad, um, but at the same time, I also think shaving your legs is a very pro thing to do, and so if you're not a pro, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so, so I, so I kind of rationalize it by associating it with racing and I kind of decide that if I'm, if I'm strong enough that I feel I could race and, you know, I might, and there might be a race to sign up for, or maybe I'm going to sign up for a race or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, then I'll kind of reward myself with allowing myself <laughs> to have shaved legs. This is um, insane. What an insane conversation <laughs> we're having. <laughs> so... So I've got shaved legs right now. So basically, if you see me turning up to a group ride and I shave my legs, that means I think I'm fit. Wow. God, I know <laughs> when to worry then. I mean, I, yeah, I haven't shaved my legs for some time now, but maybe maybe if I do, the psychological impact will finally have me chasing down your wheel successfully, Simon. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do like, you know, I, like, I love the idea that it's more aero as well. And that's something that I think specialised proved in inverted commas in their wind tunnel videos but you know i've also heard conflicting reports that the little you know the added surface roughness of the hair actually might make hairy legs more aero so i really don't know what to believe um it could be that stubble is more aerodynamic but yeah, hair is not for example that's true. i do have a good regimen though i find if i haven't shaved at all hair clippers are very good for getting it down to the stubble and then you want a lady's razor well, I say ladies in inverted commas, I suppose, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's just a few razor blades and a block, isn't it? But the lady, the ones designed for shaving legs are better. And then you need to moisturise post, post-shaving. Well, that, that's my top tip. And then, of course, as everybody always says, get into a fresh, crisp set of bed sheets for that ultimate in luxury. Anyway, this is all getting, a, like bit, yeah, this is getting a bit fetishy. Okay. So let's move on. Let's move on. All right, let's move on. Um, so... 
this one, I suppose, is a slightly more serious one. And I've kind of got a bit similarly, I've kind of got conflicted opinions on it. It's uh, so it's helmets. You know, how do how do we feel about helmets? Matthew. <laughs> um, I wear a helmet. I've crashed quite badly and the helmet probably helped. But I'm strongly against a compulsion to wear helmets because I think it discourages thinking of cycling as an everyday part of life, which it should be because cycling is a very practical thing and you shouldn't have to wear a foam hat to get on a bicycle. I'm very much of the same opinion where, you know, I think if I was doing, in inverted commas, a cycle, you know, I was going out on my road ride, I was riding with my friends, whatever. I think it's, it's I'm not going to say it's inexcusable, but it's, it's probably best advised to wear a helmet. But when you think of cycling as utility, the actual matter of fact is that you know it's probably an inherently no more dangerous activity than walking to the shops than it is cycling you know you're moving at eight miles an hour you're amongst traffic if you fall off the likelihood is it's not going to be the helmet which uh, is the deciding factor in whether or not you're seriously injured or not so again with Matthew I would be strongly strongly opposed to a a a mandatory helmet law because it, it just well it discourages people for one thing as well and safety in numbers when it comes to, you know, when it comes to cycling is definitely a, you know, a key thing. Um, of course, we should stress these are very much our opinions. Uh, you know, I'm sure other people on Bike Radar team may feel differently, but from my experience and my kind of experience of encouraging people to cycle, a helmet can be a deciding factor between yes and no. And it's up to individual choice because it's not like, you know, driving a car with no headlights, the consequences of you wearing a helmet or not really boil down to your, how comfortable you are with the risk or not of wearing one. Um, so Chris Boardman is very eloquent on this subject and he talks about it being a case of normalising cycling, which is something we're very bad at in the UK because people tend to think of cycling as like people in Lycra doing a sport, whereas in much of the world, much of Europe especially, um, I guess large parts of Asia probably as well. Cycling is just a thing that you do because you need to do it to get from A to B. And we're so bad at thinking of cycling that way. And the insistence on wearing special kit for it is part of that. And that can help reinforce the idea that cycling is an elite separate activity that can't form part of normal life. Um, Also, we have the example of Australia where they do have a helmet law and they fine people loads and it puts people off cycling casually. That's, I think, an established fact. Yeah, I, I agree. I've seen. I think we've all seen the research on that. It, it, it is very difficult, and, and if, you know, I've had this conversation with a lot of people who maybe you know don't ride bikes that often, and and I tend to, you know, similar to you guys, I tend to delineate between putting on my lycra and going for a going for a kind of ride on my road bike, and I'll always wear a helmet when I do that. But then if I'm just kind of pootling around in you know normal clothes or whatever, then I tend to not want to have to wear a helmet because I think, it, as, as Jack said, it, it's not something that needs protective equipment. Um, and I don't want to give the impression that it needs protective equipment because I don't believe that the risks say that it does. But at the same time, if I fall off my bike, you know, just when I'm riding around and I'm not wearing a helmet, people <laughs> people will call me an idiot. But if you trip over while walking and not wearing a helmet and hit your head, no one calls you an idiot. And so it's kind of... 
I think as I think as you say, Matthew, we we need to do. You know, when I say we, I, I guess I suppose that means the cycling industry, and we need to do much better to kind of normalise cycling, not just as a sport. I think brands have definitely done good things for that. I mean, we we saw the Charge e-bike launch last week, which was limited to America. It was very casual, and I mean, they're casual bikes, but just the way they portrayed people on the bikes was good. No helmets in some cases. You know, it gives a much more broad idea of the people that are cycling. But you know, as you say, when somebody crashes in a car. And, you know, they die of some catastrophic head injury. People don't call them an idiot for not wearing a helmet driving. So, you know, it, this is, is such a frustrating debate because, of course, logic dictates it could be safer wearing a helmet. But it's cart and horse, chicken and egg. If we have more people cycling, helmetless or not, it's going to be a safer thing for everyone. And we should do everything we can to encourage it. And in the interests of liberty... It should be up to people whether or not they want to wear a helmet. But yeah, driving helmets should definitely be compulsory. Yeah, well, I think that's that's the thing. You know, people sort of say, "Well, why wouldn't you wear one?" It's all you know. It's always going to be safer to wear the helmet than not the helmet. But if that you know, if that's your kind of logic, then you should basically wear a helmet from well, you know, twenty four seven. Everything you do, and also a back protector <laughs> yeah. and elbow yeah. armor and knee yeah. armor, and just don't go out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think it's yeah. So as you say, I think maybe other people like Chris Boardman speak more eloquently on it than than perhaps we do. But I think we've kind of covered some some you know good 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 opinions on there. And, and I think, like Jack said, it's probably worth stressing that other people on the team may feel differently. And it's not to say that if you if you do you know if you want to wear a helmet whenever you ride your bike, you know you do you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this has been the Bike Radar podcast. We've been talking about controversial road debates. I hope you enjoyed it. Let us know how you feel about it. Obviously, leave a review if you'd like to wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And all that's left to say is thank you very much to Jack. Thank you, Simon. And thank you very much to Matthew. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you want any more information on what we've been talking about or more news and views on cycling, check out bikeradar.com. Bye.